Hi, I'm Kenzie Fell, producer and co-host of Mago and Bravebender's podcast channel, Side Effects. We are excited to welcome one of our own, account manager Todd Clark, to the show today. Todd is an account manager for groups with 100 or more employees. He graduated from The Ohio State University in 2000 and found his way back to the Buckeye State after working in Chicago and New York City for some national benefit consultants. He has been with McGowan Brabender for nearly five years. Todd specializes in self-funded group benefit strategies and has experience in all aspects of funding, design, contribution strategy, and financial management. He joined us on the show today to take us through the anatomy of a large group renewal. His more than 20 years of experience in the industry makes him the perfect subject matter expert to lead us through this topic. So without further delay, let's get started. I'm Scott McGowan. I'm Kenzie Fell. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. Now, I think even for our listeners, too, I think what's important is um, we might be right, we might be wrong, but one thing is we're not afraid. Our goal is to get you to think about things a little differently. And we're unscripted. We just have free reign for 20 minutes. Welcome to Side Effects with an A. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. I'm Kenzie Fell. We have a great guest with us today. We do. We have Todd Clark here. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, we're so excited to have you too as one of our directors of account management. Um, like I said in my intro about you, tons of experience in healthcare and sales and service. And we're very glad to have you on today to talk about the anatomy of a renewal, which is pretty pretty fundamental here. So, Well, I think one of the things too, Todd, it's, like it's obviously one of the core principles of, of your role. And one of the things that I think we're big believers in is it's not a transaction, right? So it's a it's a strategy. Absolutely. So kind of walk us through this renewal. When does the process begin? So for the large self-funded clients, it can begin anywhere from you know February to August, depending on how the clients uh, like to get things done. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a process, and we like to get things started as early as possible. But sometimes uh, clients just don't have the resources mm-hmm. or have the timing to to get it done but um, we don't want to get things done too early uh, for the clients that have stop-loss insurance because we really can't lock that in uh, but overall more time is more time is better right right does the so obviously you know the process um, is dependent on on size but does does industry matter much I really don't think so I think it's more about the personality, what's going on at the clients, uh, how they like to how they like to communicate to to their employees. We have some clients that renew July first and communicate communicate to incli- to their client um, their employees uh, June first. So, mm-hmm. so so we're talking about lead time here. So what's important to understand? Like you said, you don't want to start too early, don't want to start too late. But what if it's a new group? Do you want to get things get on the ball, get it rolling, or is that bad? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of new groups, when we start working with them, we don't have the full cycle. So normally we'd go through an eight-month cycle before we get things ready for open enrollment. Mm -hmm. But with new groups, uh, sometimes they tend to make decisions late in the process, and so we need to ramp up and just decrease that timeline or condense the timeline. So it all every client's different. That's the thing about 100+. plus. (laughs) When you talk about 2 to 50, even 51 to 99, uh, more standard processes, uh, but with the self-funded clients and the larger clients, uh, 
usually the bigger they are, the earlier they start, but that's not always the case. So, sorry, it, it, I was just, it could be an uh, employee with 105 clients, or it could be 5,000. So it ranges completely with 100 plus. Absolutely. Correct? Absolutely. And okay, I think, good to remember. you know, one thing when I think about self-funded clients is if you have 200 or if you have 2,000, the process isn't that different mm-hmm. now, depending on the internal initiatives that are going on right if you have a 401k change going on or a payroll change or benefits outsourcing change that's going to impact how we work through the benefits renewal Mm -hmm. because benefits changes need resources and if your folks are working on something else or your hr folks are focused on something else then we need to take all that into consideration Mm -hmm. so when you think about so probably your your largest customer probably renews january 1st Okay, and so what's the earliest you've ever put a renewal to bed in a, in Ooh, a calendar yeah. year? So if clients are comfortable with it, we oftentimes, and I'd say most oftentimes, get things to bed before the stop loss is finalized. Now, some clients are not comfortable with that, but since stop loss won't usually lock in until 90 days out, sometimes 120 days out, then we are, if we want to move forward in a July or August decision time frame, mm-hmm. then we have to make some assumptions and realize that the rates are not final. But as we talk about you know, the, the 87 cents, the claims piece, we can do a projection on that. And then the fixed cost, we can make an estimate and then we just deal with that as, a, as it comes, yeah. you know, make that final negotiation. But earliest, you know, I've locked in renewals in June. For a 1-1. Yeah, for 1-1, say, hey, these are the funding rates we're going to go with. If the stop loss comes in or if your claims change a little bit, uh, it might impact a point or two either way. But normally when you do a self-funded projection, if you're within four or five percentage points, uh, I'd say that's a pretty good guess. Most of the time when you do a projection, you know that's not going to be the right answer, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be close. Gotcha. That's awesome. If you were done in June. Because, I mean, you're busy seasons all year long. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll say that's the earliest I've done <laughs> it. That's not the norm. It's a good story. Yeah. What about the latest? Oh, Lordy. <laughs> right Is down the to day the before? Uh, well, I would say that has happened. <laughs> Maybe not the day before, but yeah. during the month prior to the renewal period, like uh, July 1, we're getting things done in June, getting people enrolled the last week of June. Mm-hmm. But then folks, if you're making a change, folks aren't getting their cards. So you... you want to avoid that situation at all at all costs so i'm kind of thinking about the renewal process you meet with um the core group of people the benefits admit admins who is in that meeting what kind of people are in this meeting with you once again with the 100 plus space uh, really the core team and that could be the hr manager the the day-to-day person the director Mm -hmm. hr maybe cfo um, maybe a a human capital person, a personnel person. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the client and who gets involved and at what stage, because oftentimes we'll deal with an HR director and they will have to go through some process where there's an executive benefits committee to get approval. Mm -hmm. So we talk about timing. You don't want to wait until October to make final decisions when then you have to get on the benefits committee schedule, which only meets once a month. So, right. um, it's yeah. all over the place, but it absolutely is. But mostly, it's that core HR group and and probably a finance person. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you really pride yourself on, and I think we do as well, is <coughs> just the reporting elements that that come out of self-funded uh, employers. 
Now, whether the employer looks at those or not, right, our, your responsibility is to look at that and kind of get enough like a mindset. How's, the, how's this plane running? It, it, when a CFO calls you and says, hey, Todd, like, what's this look like mm-hmm. out of the blue? Hmm. Know, what are we That's looking at? That's probably a fun call. No, it's, it's good because we have monthly reporting that our FAS group puts together. Uh, so we have that available. We have data anal- analytics that we can use. So we have two places where we can draw data from, one more financial, one more clinical. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for some of our clients, we even look at the m- weekly invoices. So, for example, I'm going to a client tomorrow for a meeting, and it's mid-month. We don't have the carrier data yet. Right. But I can go and look, and that would be for May since we're in June now. Um, but I can go out and look at the weekly invoices, and I track those on a weekly basis. So mm-hmm. I know how May turned out, even though the reporting's not given it to me. So I can go out and say, hey, this is the projection, but we saw that May was a rough month or May was a great month. And we can, t- we can kind of take that into consideration. After the renewal calculation, which is the science, then there's that art piece that we use, data analytics. and So and data analytics, very important. Absolutely. And I know you strongly believe in it. What, what do you do with it? And wh- what do you show to our customers to you know help them? Yeah, I'd say during the year, during our whole strategy process, there is a meeting that's devoted to utilization and clinical analysis right. where we look at how the plan's running, uh, what are what are the cost drivers, uh, the high chronic conditions, mm-hmm. so we can, uh, instead of creating a strategy for everyone, we can create targeted strategies for individual groups if the client wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's more on the ongoing basis clinical analysis. When we get to the projection, what the renewal, we can use that information, in particular the predictive modeling, which is internal to the uh, to the tool that we use with the Johns Hopkins ACG. Right. Um, we can use that to, once again, adjust the financial projection, the math part that we do, and use some art and look at what's coming down the road, uh, talk to the client. Maybe we have an individual that it says there's going to be big claims, but they know that that person has left the plan or is going to leave right. the plan or yeah, there's I a certain situation. So I think what's interesting is a lot of people, obviously the reporting, so that's what happened. I kind of like think of that as like the mirror in your car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, can look, I can look backwards. So I've already paid for this claim. I've already looked at it. So when we think about the power of, of data analytics, it not only talks about what happened, but also help, help our listeners maybe understand like what's the predictive element of that Johns Hopkins what does that what does that mean why why would that be important to an employer well it I think it's important because you're right most rating most projections are done on a retrospective basis you're looking at the past you're trending it up to the future um, but you're missing what is going to happen Mm -hmm. and nobody has a crystal ball but (laughs) uh, the algorithms that are built into our data analytics system take age gender and past claims and look at where each individual is on the progression of their illness or disease state to try to predict where they're going forward. Now, on an individual basis, the accuracy is not great just because it's a single individual and every person's different, just like every group is different. Yeah. But it gives us an idea, and then we can take all of those individuals from a client and accumulate that and give it some credibility to try to help us predict. I think the additional power in that is also it's so it's what happened <coughs> and then some predictive modeling what we predict but it's also what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So you talk yeah. about non-compliance on prescription oh, drugs. Oh, absolutely. 
just a lot of other uh, intuitive uh, tools versus just an Excel spreadsheet with what you paid for medical, what you paid for Rx. Yeah, and that's definitely a big part of that second meeting of the year, the utilization meeting that we walked through before we get into the pre-renewal and renewal uh, strategy meetings. Do you have any, on the top of your head, you know, I'm putting you on the spot, any good success stories, though, that you've gone into a company and you've looked at this data and you're like, we need to do this? Because I know you and I were talking yesterday about we're in Southwest Ohio. The number one thing that employers don't know about was diabetes, yeah, right? Absolutely. So is what kind of, do you have any stories or anything to back that up? You know, I, I think it, we have identified a lot. It's hard for, sometimes it's hard for clients to target groups of their employees. They more often than not like to do a blanket approach where they're not identifying anybody or calling anybody yeah. out. But we know in Southwest Ohio, musculoskeletal is going to be high on the list. Diabetes is going to be high on the list. Uh, weight just in general, that behavior, weight-related uh, chronic conditions. So mm -hmm. uh, I think it's easy to identify what needs to be done. I mean, we're, we're Americans. We know how. I mean, it's America. not just Southwest Ohio. Yeah. It's <laughs> the whole nation we have issues with. And hypertension, we were just talking a few yeah. minutes ago how that's becoming. And all of those comorbidities, they can be managed. Yep. And not just by drugs, by diet, by exercise. So communicating to clients you that have choices. Making, yeah, yeah, that making incremental changes in your approach and not just staying the same because if you stay the same, that's not going to control costs. Exactly. What are some blind spots that you see um, maybe um, like an individual's perspective or an organization's perspective? What are, what are things that are just, you know, maybe that they don't want to look at <laughs> or they want to ignore? They're just blind spots. I think change in general. Um, making changes changes to your plan when you're getting a you're self-funded and the plan is fairly credible and mm -hmm. you're running three percent a year or four percent a year which I mean it doesn't sound great but it's great compared to the market if you're consistent you might say hey we don't want to make any changes because we're things are running great but there's always that year in the future where things will not run great and mm -hmm. that's and when things are running great, that's when you want to make those changes. I'm so glad you said that. Change is that, scary, that's yeah. That's really good advice for it people is. to understand. Well, I was reading a book <coughs> called The Innovator's Dilemma. Mm -hmm. And it, it's an older book, and there's been updates. But it talks about when companies in general are flying high and doing really well, that's at the beginning of their downfall. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's that peak, and then everything goes down from there because they they get confident, they get cocky, they they think, hey, this is everything's going great. Mm -hmm. We're just gonna if it ain't broke, don't fix exactly. it. <laughs> and and it's tough. Change is tough. Yeah, it's work. Sometimes you don't have the support and the resources that you need, and I hope that's what my team brings to clients as an extension of their HR team mm -hmm. uh, to help them get those changes And if done. they don't want to make changes, then no one gets healthier. And Absolutely. It's a vicious cycle. So you get this claims report. Obviously, we, you know, we get feeds, so we get, th we get that without asking yep. uh, a lot of times. But if we get a report, then obviously we look at uh, the impact of data analytics. But how important is prescription drugs in, in, in the transaction? Uh, very and increasing. I mean, yeah. We know, I mean, I looked at the overall stats and it said 19% of spend is through the prescription drug portion of the plan. Now we know there's additional prescription drugs under the medical as well, which is growing also. But I feel like my clients are 25, 30, some are 35 and 40% wow. that are drugs. 
Now, these are smaller self-funded clients, but really when you look at a client, I look at the large claims, medical large claims, and then specialty drugs, because if you can manage those two pieces, those are your big drivers. And if you have success doing that, um, then you're gonna then you're going going to keep your costs in a reasonable range. I just side note, I was thinking about the other day generics versus um, brand name drugs, and I was talking to my mom about this, and she said at a company she used to work at, they were gonna force everyone to go to the generic drugs because they were saying, you know, these are just so much cheaper. But people were were angry because they're like, no, I I don't react the same way to the generic as the brand name. So sometimes you have to pay for the really expensive brand name even though it's raising the cost for everything, but it's just it just blows my mind, I guess. I just can't get over the prescription pricing. And <laughs> well, we were talking about that this morning. That I mean, when I started, it was 2% of the spend. Now it's 20% of the spend. Crazy. And then you look at 5.4 billion prescriptions dispensed last year, and 90% of those are g- generic. And that's actually where the PBMs make the most money, is yeah. generics, which is completely <laughs> the whole... I mean, we could have a whole nother That's a whole discussion nother podcast. on pharmacy, <laughs> and I'll let yeah. somebody with more expertise than me talk about that. But it is, it's uh, counterintuitive sometimes. But it tells you, the, the prescription drug utilization can tell you a lot about the characteristics of a group. Absolutely. I think disease compliance is the biggest thing. I mean, outside of specialty, sometimes there's conditions like a hemophiliac or yep. um, we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis or ulcerative colitis, those type of things where... You need a drug to manage that, oh that yeah. illness or else they're going to go in the hospital and you'll have an inpatient stay. And even though their drugs are expensive, it makes sense. But if you have folks taking hypertension drugs, the high cholesterol drugs, the drugs um, for de- antidepressants, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. managing their conditions, uh, that keeps them at work, that keeps them productive. Oh, yeah. And overall, it's a benefit to the organization. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is the first thing when you get these claims reports for clients? What's the first thing you look at? I would say it's the, it's the large medical claims. Yeah. Uh, to we put together a report that tracks the large claims month over month so we can see how they're progressing along. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are usually claims over twenty five or over 50,000. So we can see which ones have hit the stop loss, which ones are growing, which ones have cooled off. And then the other pieces, and it's part of that, is the specialty drugs to look at what we can do to manage that cost, what we can do to address it. Uh, oftentimes you can't do anything. You just have to ride it out. But um, Are groups normally <laughs> surprised when you show them this, or are they aware? Do they know? I would say they're aware in mm-hmm. most cases, especially the smaller self-funded groups because they're they tend to be more mom and pop and know everybody, and the HR person is the one that, before they reach out to our MB Advocates group, they're usually going to that HR person so they know everything that's going on. Yeah. Interesting. What's interesting, too, is, you know, there's um, you've got an issue. Maybe you've got a customer with like five big stop loss claims, right? Or they would call them shock claims or a group that just has increased utilization. I mean, nine times out of 10, you want the group with those episodes that probably you would say wouldn't occur. Yeah. Acute episodes are okay. That's what major medical plans are for, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But the, but the difference of whether there there isn't a cue like whoa like we have we have a we have an intensity issue inside this plan. Yeah, and you know one thing: acute incidents are going to happen if you can catch them earlier. If you can have a healthier person go into that episode, mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you have an un- unhealthy person go into the same episode as a healthy person, you're going to end up getting through it cheaper with a better result with the person who was originally healthier. Right. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm self-funded. And society thinks, oh, my gosh, you're paying all of it. No. Inside of a self-funded health care plan is stop loss. So when you think about it from kind of like uh, from, from uh, lay terminology, it would be it's similar to the deductible on your car. Absolutely. Yeah. So do I have 100% coverage on my car? I, w- I would hope most of us don't. Would I have a thousand dollar deductible? So being self-funded, there's normally a stop-loss deductible. Yeah, and if you do have no deductible on your car, then you're paying for it, right? Exactly. So when you look at stop-loss, let's say you're a hundred life group and you want to have a thirty-five thousand dollar limit on each individual person, you're going to pay a lot higher rate than if you say, "Hey, I'm willing to pay up to seventy-five thousand dollars for that individual person." And then, you know, when you, when, when you think about that, I mean, I, I think in all of my years, I've had one customer that had not uh, purchased either two, two forms of stop loss, aggregate, which protects the entire plan, or specific, which protects one individual. I've had one customer do neither, which is, and that, that's a massive risk. The, but, but the majority of self-funded employers, I mean, they're, they're, they're purchasing both of that protection. Uh, so I would say... Um, that's probably true, but not in my book. <laughs> just because I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of ag. Uh, you know, if you have a reasonable individual stop loss level, and you have that catastrophic claim, that excess is not going to be counted towards your aggregate. So, to have claims go 25% over is a very, very rare occurrence. That being said, in the last two years, it has happened to one of my groups. So, and it was not a 100 life group, it was a 600 life group. They just had that perfect storm that some clients go through. uh, But uh, talked to uh, one of the guys in our FAS area. He's been in the business for 40 years. (laughs) And uh, I think he's seen ag hit maybe three or four times. Mm -hmm. And I think I've I've been doing this for 25 years. I've seen two ag hits. Yep, I've seen two myself. So it's, it's sleep insurance. It provide it's exactly what it is it's insurance mm-hmm. and if you want to pay for that uh, coverage then you do it and i think that's something that we do a good job of here is making sure that you're at the right stop loss level we look back at history we look back at uh, gain loss for past years and then we look at the current rates and see you know how many how many claims do you have to hit to break even on your premium savings and if it makes sense then we move so if you get, so you get all this data, so you collect the census from the group, all the demographics, we get the reporting, which, which we collect, we have, data analytics, we push that out to market, and then these proposals show up. What, like, what do you look for? That's where FAS comes into play again. Yeah. Uh, yes. Our FAS analyst takes all that data, does all the follow-up with the uh, individual carriers, if there's things missing, if there's gaps in the proposal. If there's additional questions, they answer them or ask them. And then what we get is a final summary spreadsheet. So what we're looking for most of the time is uh, is rates from there right. to put into the fixed cost portion. And as a self-funded client, the bigger piece is the claims, which we would tend to do that in conjunction with FAS, and that's looking at network access, uh, disruption from the current network, and potential impact on discounts. What are, what are some gaps that you see sometimes when you look at that information? 
I think the biggest gap is comparing apples to oranges. So mm -hmm. most carriers don't have the same exact definitions of a discount or of savings. And so we have to make sure we normalize that data to make a, a clean comparison. How important is price to Todd? <laughs> on the fixed cost side? Yeah, uh, uh, probably more on the, uh, on the, on the stop-loss side. Actually, explain I mean, both. It, yeah, I, I would say it all adds up into one big piece. So we're looking at the fixed costs, the admin. Uh, we're looking at the pharmacy. If you have that carved out, if you don't have it carved out, if you're getting rebates, if you're not getting rebates. Then we have the claims. So we're looking at, once again, the network, mm -hmm. discounts, disruption. Maybe the discounts are great, but a hospital system that most of your folks use is not in the new network, so it wouldn't make sense. And then lastly is that stop-loss piece. So I think it comes together, and we just have to – this is where ma it gets math-heavy, is that you need to run those numbers and see how things compare side by side. You know, when you think about – so one of the reasons – this is just my opinion. You can probably validate this, but, you know, the larger you are, obviously you've got a workforce you need to communicate to. You've got also got budgets. You've got financial budgets. You, you know, you're trying to connect all these dots together. So, you know, once once this is kind of like all put together, what is what is what does that whole process look like? So we've made a decision, and who comes into the room? What happens? What happens? What happens next? So once the decision is made, mm -hmm. um, then we drive towards open enrollment and communication. Um, the earlier the better. Um, some clients send out an email. <laughs> uh, some clients have in-person meetings with videos and interactive uh, apps and things of that nature. So we run the gamut. Um, some clients do benefit booklets. Some don't. So uh, what, it, it what do you think actually works? What do you think has the most effectiveness? I like the idea of open enrollment meetings, but um, because it gives us a captive audience and it allows us to talk not only about the changes for the new year, but how you should be accessing care, how you should be using your plan to the best of your advantage and your family's advantage. So I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can't take, you know, 40 people off the line for an hour each day. I mean, that's you're losing productive time. So oh yeah. some clients just can't do that. Um, but I think that that touch, I think, goes along goes a long way. And a lot of times I think open enrollment is so foreign to some people. They're intimidated or they it's not mandatory, so they don't go. They yeah. just stick with their same plan. So yep. well, I think once again, if it ain't broke, don't don't, don't fix, fix it. it. Don't yeah. touch yep. it. <laughs> you know, the expensive is in the expense is massive. I mean, you're spending twelve thousand dollars per employee per year and just say you know, because really it's price times utilization equals, you know. Yep. So in frequency times severity. Exactly. Yeah. So um you know, leaning into your workforce. So you've got obviously different channels. So you've got paper, which is booklets. You've got eye to ball, face, to, you know, eyeball, uh, face to face uh, interactions, video. Yep. So a massive uh, technology. And then one of the things that we're kind of big believers in is like, can we create things that are on demand? Yep. So instead of just when it's convenient for us or for someone else, when, when it's convenient for the for, for the individual, how do we yeah. give them good information? Yeah, and piggybacking on that, we've talked about psychographics before on the podcast. How do we individualize the communication to each person mm -hmm. based on how they would select a plan? So that's right. I think that's becoming more of a requirement rather than a luxury. So this is something you think about. I mean, it's not a one-time event. I mean, you think about it all the time. But if you were your king for a day, what's mm -hmm. like? What's one thing Todd does to change this process? 
change the renewal process or yeah. the communication process? You you choose either one. King Todd. Yeah, I would just want to make sure everybody's on the same page and working instead of as a group, uh, working more as a team, oh making yeah. sure you have common goals. And I think we mm -hmm. do that with our core belief session with our clients, just making sure goals are aligned. Uh, process moves much easier. smoother. Yeah. And we end up at the right mm -hmm. place for everyone. Because mm -hmm. I think the mindset could be, and unfortunately this could be the truth, but it's not the truth, is well, everybody just wants to put this to bed. No. We want is we want value. We want you know lower cost for your for your organization, lower cost for your employees, and a healthier workforce. And all three of those th that takes a lot of time and it takes energy. Yeah, but there's value to it that people are using the plan in the most efficient fashion for themselves and their family. So, in our ideal world, you said the best piece of advice you would have is to you know be aligned along the whole process makes it m much smoother in the end for everyone. So is that where most problems occur during the renewal process, is not being on the same page? Um, not to throw anybody in the <laughs> under the bus, but I think most problems in the renewal process happen in the implementation of the renewal, if any mm -hmm. changes are made, if the communication falls um, between us, the, the client, and the carrier or the TPA, mm -hmm. oftentimes a box doesn't get checked or a number gets transposed or and then we're in January and people are paying $50 for their prescription and they should be paying $20 for their prescription. Right. So those little details I think are really crucial to make sure. Devils in the details. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the client, I mean we can deal with administrative stuff behind the scenes and we do and yeah. it, it's fine but once it touches the member then it becomes a bigger problem. They don't get paid to deal with that stuff. We get paid to deal with the problems behind the scene. Yep. Well, we want it to be, you know, because obviously it's, a, you know, a, a misunderstood benefit isn't a benefit to anybody. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And especially when there's uh, when there's mistakes. And we want to make those right. It's an expensive investment for, for organizations. You want to make sure that, you know, we've got good, smart people fighting that on, on, uh, on their behalf. So to our audience, if you have any ideas for us on side effects. Yep. You can email Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com or Kenzie at HealthierBirthdays.com. Yeah, mm -hmm. Todd, can't thank you enough for being here. My pleasure. Um, Thanks for being a good, smart person. Absolutely. At MB. I do yeah. what I can. <laughs> I like that you guys said I graduated in 2000. makes me seem younger than I am. So. <laughs> gotcha. That is, you are young. That was yes. my second time around at OSU. So <laughs> well, you're, uh, you're, you're, a, you're a great asset to McGowan Brabender. Mm -hmm. Customers uh, crazy about you. You're really smart. And, uh, and we need you, and, we, and we're grateful. Appreciate yep. it. Join us next time on Side Effects. Have a great day.